0: The second edition of our week one NFL betting breakdown here on beat the closing number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow my co-host, the esteemed MLB betting savant, something like that. Mona Wara on Twitter with two W's at Mona You could follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. and you can follow myself on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. So, Like I mentioned on Tuesday's recording, we're typically going to be doing two episodes a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And today's episode, recording here on Thursday, September 7th, breaking down our four best bets. Maybe a bonus bet, depending on how much time we have. We're also going to talk week one player props with one of the sharpest player prop bettors, depending on how much money you can get down at a given book, of course. Jack Miller over from Establish the run. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including our NFL best bets and Mo's day-to-day MLB bets with the playoffs on the horizon. Mo, how you feeling? Week one, a few days away. Are you sure? I think so. Oh, it I is think- tonight. Well, I'm not counting Thursday night football because we're not talking about it. (laughs) Well, the Chiefs are on. I'm definitely counting Thursday night football. That's true. I have no bets on the game. And for those listening, we discussed Lions Chiefs on Tuesday's episode. So if you want to check out any of our takes, the Travis Kelsey portion of the podcast broke late when we were recording. So that is in Tuesday's episode of beat the closing number other than tonight's game though because you are a cheese fan, how are you feeling with Sunday and Monday slate officially a few days away definitely excited Uh, very excited
1: to talk about our first game that might be the game I'm most looking forward to
0: actually let's get into it so Bengals Browns and if we go back to mid-July so a couple months after the lines were initially released Browns dipped to one and a half point dogs. So Cincinnati was around a one, one and a half point road favorite against Cleveland because Joe Burrow suffered that calf injury in late July. Now with Burrow seemingly healthy-ish for this game, Bengals are back to two and a half point favorites. If you think this number is going to climb up to three, think again. Remember that Monday Night Football game going back to the first half of the season last year. Browns closed as two two and a half point home dogs and that was a worse Browns roster in the market while Cleveland is still as high as plus 400 to win the AFC North Mo I know you have a bet on the Browns to win the division market is still higher on Cleveland than they were last year and rightfully so so Cleveland plus three is not going to pop unless you're trying to bet this game live and Mo looking at this game for me and why I'm backing the Browns plus two and a half, which we can find in our Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Also, find the best sports betting promos for this game over at thelines.com. So if you look at the Super Bowl futures market, Bengals had the fifth shortest odds to win it all, but they got a bit lucky on the defensive side of the ball last year, which we discussed in our futures podcast. I know Woozie was out for... About half the season, if not more, but Cincinnati faced, among their opponents' dropbacks last year, 45% of their opposing quarterbacks stem from QBs who ranked number 30 or worse in dropback EPA, and that was the highest rate in the league. So you factor that in with losing your two starting safeties, including Von Bell, I think you're going to see a lot of regression or a setback if you don't want to call it regression for this Bengals top 10 passing defense when it came to opposing dropback EPA last year. And remember, Cincinnati has gotten a bit lucky in the playoffs over the last couple of years and likely would have lost to Baltimore in the wildcard round if not for a some turnover luck when it came to that 98 yard I'm putting recovery. it mildly. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. A little I bit was of, pissed. A little bit of luck. I had Baltimore sprinkle on the money line. I took Baltimore plus eight and a half. But yeah, Bengals betters have gotten a bit lucky, to say the least, over the last couple of years. I know Bengals fans and betters may argue the AFC Championship game went against them on that questionable personal foul call, but I was on the other really? side. We're we're doing that here. I'm not. Listen, I'm a, I'm with you. I'm with you that it was a, a fair call, but I digress. So, Bengals' secondary, I think, regresses statistically, and I think Brown's offense, passing wise especially, sees a positive uptick, assuming Deshaun Watson, whether you want to say he is fully back to his Pro Bowl form with the Texans or not, I think he has a better understanding of Stefanski's offense this time around, especially with a full season of prep and actual games at that. I know he participated in preseason games going back to last season, but you go back to what the last six or seven games that Watson played in, including against the Bengals second worst drop back EPA among qualified quarterbacks during that stretch. So couple the Bengals defensive regression with Deshaun Watson and Cleveland's passing offense, seeing positive regression, positive variance, and you go to the defensive side of the ball now for Cleveland. Browns are 4-1 and one against Joe Burrow, straight up. And that's not a trend that I'm citing in that direction. I know a lot of people are going to be saying the divisional underdog trend. And you could account that for this game or not. But Joe Burrow has really struggled when it comes to avoiding the blitz when pressured. And Cleveland should be able to get pressure with their front four, especially with the addition of Zadarius Smith and actually having a competent defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz and his ability providing multiple looks against Burrow. So assuming Denzel Ward is off concussion protocol, the reports are that he's going to participate in practice tomorrow. In some variation, I think he was limited going back to yesterday on Wednesday, which would be big against Jamar Chase. I know Chase had a big second game against Ward last year in the second of two meetings against the Browns. But I digress overall. I like Cleveland plus two and a half, Mo. How are you handicapping this one?
1: Yeah, I think the spread is just a hair too high uh, as well. So I'm very excited for this game. I think that, I think I'm mainly really excited for this game couple reasons. One is going to be, I think I'll know pretty quickly if my Browns plus 400 has any legs here. Um, <laughs> if they play a strong game and Deshaun Watson looks halfway decent, then I'm going to assume I'm live. And if Deshaun Watson looks like 2022 Deshaun Watson, I will write that money off and not worry about sweating it the rest of the way. Uh, I, I do like Browns a little bit here, but a couple things keeping me off this one. One of them is, is Denzel Ward. Uh, the depth that cornerback is Pretty bad for Cleveland and obviously in this matchup specifically man, you really I mean you want Denzel Ward out there anytime you can get him out there but you're facing T Higgins and Jamar Chase you really really want Denzel Ward out there Um, so that concerns me for sure and just the large range of outcomes around Deshaun Watson uh, you could tease the Browns as well but I don't like that because uh, of basically the factor of if Deshaun stinks again. Bengals could run away with this. I do think, though, some advantages, like you were saying, a big one is just... So when you when you bring up the the Browns' record against Burrow, I actually think there's some signal there because of the way Cleveland plays defense and the way Burrow plays. I think it's a good matchup for Cleveland. Burrow, if he has a weakness, I think it's probably he holds onto the ball too long and takes some sacks that he doesn't need to. Yeah. Um, and... The Browns obviously have had a tremendous pass rush. Obviously, they have Miles Garrett, one of the best, if not the best, in the business. And Cincinnati's offensive line is is just okay. It's solid, I think. But um, the Browns have gotten the better of it, for sure. And, uh, yeah, the Cleveland pass rush, I I think they could have another big game here. And if Burrow is holding onto the ball too long, um, then... That they could be in some trouble there. Uh, I, I'm just really excited to watch this game. I think that this is two teams that could definitely be contenders in the AFC. So uh, one of the best matchups of week one.
0: Over to our second game Mo Panthers at Falcons Atlanta minus three and a half, pretty much across the board. Panthers got some good news yesterday with Brian Burns back ending his holdout. You think about Cleveland having a weaker secondary if Ward Misses the game, although, again, he should be back at practice on Friday. Panthers would definitely be a little bit depleted when it comes to rushing Desmond Ritter off the edge if Burns wasn't in the lineup, but he's back. How are you betting Panthers and Falcons?
1: I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I've been running my mouth all offseason that I think the Falcons are massively overrated by the market, so uh, I guess I better bet the Panthers, especially since I... (laughs) Took the Panthers plus 500 to win the division. I like the Panthers, and I don't like the Falcons. So, uh, yeah, plus three and a half. I'm going to have to take it. A few things here. Number one, you hit on Brian Burns. He's a superstar. Uh, He is back. I think he's having a contract dispute with the team, but it sounds like he's going to play, I guess, since he practiced, unlike certain other people who play for my favorite team that we won't talk about right now. Um (laughs) I was also looking at their coaching staff overall. I love Frank Reich, and I thought he got a raw deal in Indianapolis. I also like that he brought in Ejiro Averro to coordinate this defense. I'm baffled that this defense hasn't been better the last couple years. They have used multiple high picks every year. And it's picks that, when I watch them, they play well. So I'm baffled why this defense hasn't been better. I can only assume... Coaching might be part of it. I know injuries obviously have been. So I'm hoping Averro. he did a good job, obviously, with Denver last year. So I'm hoping he can get what I see as a talented group of players uh, to perform better than they have the past couple of years. I think Frank Reich and Bryce Young could be a productive pairing. I mean, we've seen Frank Reich get pretty good, maybe may good as a stretch. We've seen him get competent quarterback play out of very limited and I would say washed quarterbacks, uh, Matt Ryan and and uh, Philip Rivers and in, in Indy. So he, he had Brissett por- performing at a reasonable level. Uh, I mean, he has basically no talent, love the guy, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think he's done good with really limited resources at quarterback. And when the team fell apart, talent wise. They decided to can him. I think that was foolish. I think even if I'm wrong, though, like Atlanta built their team to win 2017 every game here. They're going to be pounding the rock. They, I have a hard time seeing this team pulling away from anybody, to be honest with you. So unless Bryce Young is turning the ball over if they fall behind and giving Atlanta free points, I think that they can stick around and, and cover this
0: number. We love to make fun of meaningless trends on this show, Mo. Since 2003, quarterbacks drafted first overall, 0 13 and 1, straight up 1 and 13 against the spread. So, you know, there are going to be naysayers when it comes to your Panthers pick. So, for those following treads.
1: I would say there could be some bias in that number, right? Because these yeah. quarterbacks are typically coming into very, very bad teams. The Panthers are not a very, very bad team. Like they have a seven and a half win total, whatever it was. They, um, they traded. You know, they were the ninth pick, right? I think ninth. Like yeah, they were not. They, they, they for picked the number pick. one overall because they traded up to it. Obviously, they gave up some talent, like DJ Moore. But this is not a complete wasteland like some of these number one quarterbacks are walking into.
0: No, it's a great point, and it also proves that in general. Trends are meaningless without context, and that's really good context when it comes to the Panthers' collective roster and talent level outside of Bryce Young. So, third game we're going to discuss, Bucks at Vikings. Tampa Bay opened as a touchdown dog when the lines were released in mid-May, down to plus six, five and a half actually. At FanDuel MGM Points Bet and Bet Rivers. I bet plus six on Friday. That's over in the Discord. So is Moe's Panthers pick at plus three and a half. And you could price shop over at the lines.com for the best NFL week one betting odds. So I mentioned some stuff that is glaring towards Minnesota on Tuesday's podcast when it comes to some regression. Although you brought up the point, rightfully so, that the market is has baked that in a bit with a win total of eight and a half. But just to reiterate it for those who didn't listen and aren't aware, the Vikings, shockingly, won 13 games last year with a negative point differential, 11-0 in one-score games, and led the league in wins over expected based on point differential and fourth quarter win probabilities and exceeding their wins over expected with those two factors in mind at the highest rate that the league has seen over the last 22 years. So you couple the fact that Minnesota outperformed expectations by a mile. And even though that regression and setback to an extent is baked into the futures market, I don't think it's necessarily baked in to this point spread as much as it should be. Number one, you look at DVOA. And I know we said RIP to football outsiders. DVOA is still out there. And the Bucs are actually marginally ahead of the Vikings when it comes to total projected DVOA. Then you look back at last year quarterback performance and Baker Mayfield had a slightly higher DVOA, granted in a small sample size, but slightly higher DVOA when it came to the Rams offense over his final 5 games of 2022 than Kirk Cousins did with the Vikings for the Vikings total offensive DVOA over the entire course of the 2022 season for Minnesota. Now, the one area of concern that you also brought up was Baker under pressure, and he actually had the highest percentage of pressures converted into sacks last year among qualified quarterbacks, just over 30%, and I know the Bucks' offensive line is a little bit of a question mark, especially with Tristan Wirfs, who was arguably the best right tackle in the league last year, shifting over to left tackle, but the Vikings also don't have a super competent pass rush, even with the addition of, of Marcus Davenport coming over from the Saints. And then this, digging into the Bucks' outlook a little bit more, also maybe a little bit more optimistic when it came to this bet, maybe just Tampa Bay's total collective outlook. So Tampa Bay hired and let go of Byron Lefkowitz in turn, Dave Canales entering the fold. It's going to be his first season as an NFL offensive coordinator after spending a decade plus with the Seahawks. And it's not to say that the Bucks are going to get the same sort of revival that we saw with Geno Smith under Canales, and Baker is going to all of a sudden lead Tampa Bay to an NFC South title. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Canales' system utilizes a lot of pre-snap motion, quarterback movement, and zone blocking technique, which is a scheme that Mayfield is very familiar with, going back to his Browns days. Take into account the Vikings' secondary which is below average and then some, might be one of the worst back sevens in the NFL, especially when you look at their defensive backs. And then at that, the Bucks have a pretty significant advantage when it comes to total defense. and you can make the case that Tampa Bay's defense is at least above average, if not top 10, especially with the addition of Ryan Neal. And if the Bucks can get pressure up front on the interior when it comes to Vita Vea and can't see... Their rookie defensive tackle against a pretty weak interior on the Vikings offensive line with Bradbury at center and Ed Ingram at right guard. So I think the Bucks have a shot to pull this one out outright is five and a half, six point dogs. I took the six last Friday. Are you with me on the Bucks, Mel?
1: Yeah, I think I'll be in there on the Bucks as well. I like it. I like this play. I am a little more bearish than you on Tampa's pass protection against Davenport. And, uh, Daniel Hunter, that does concern me quite a bit because like I said before, I I think Baker's probably the worst quarterback in the NFL or at least up there when he's under pressure. Uh, he can be very, very, very bad, both taking sacks and putting the ball into harm's way. Um, so that's my major concern here at the same time though, some really good matchups for Tampa Bay, like you highlighted, um, nice spot for them up front against, uh, Interior Vikings line that has been uh, pretty good at protecting the passer, but completely lacks power. And I don't think Alexander Madison is going to be the answer at running back either, I have to say. I think this could be one of the worst rushing offenses in the NFL. Every time I watched Madison in the past, I thought he was very bad. Does not have explosive speed, and his vision is poor, I think. so. Um, I think the Vikings are going to have a really tough time running the ball. There's going to be a ton of pressure on this passing game. Yes, they have the best wide receiver in the NFL. That helps immensely. But the Bucks have competent DBs, man. I love their cornerbacks. I think Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are very good. Um, and I think on the outside, on the other side of the ball, like you said, they have a massive advantage as well. Uh, Mike Evans, one of the best in the business still. Um, Chris Godwin, also a good player when healthy, but... Seems to be struggling with injury already. Shocker. Uh, But at the same time, look at these DBs, man. I mean, the Vikings have one of the worst collections of DBs in the NFL. So I would consider wagers on Tampa, maybe Tampa team total over. I haven't really looked at the total for this one yet, but that could be another good look here because I don't see the Vikings get many stops on any competent passing game this year. And as long as Baker has reasonable protection and these receivers are on the field, then I think this should be a somewhat decent passing game and just having a ma- massive advantage against these DBs.
0: I mentioned this in our Tuesday edition of the podcast, too, that the backdoor cover turned Vikings pick six fumble recovery. I will have m- multiple editions of PTSD if That happens. It it reminds me a lot, Mo, I don't know if you remember this game from, I think it was three, four years ago, when the Browns were struggling the year before they made the playoffs with Mayfield, and they were at New England. Pretty trendy dog, I think. I know I bet Cleveland in that game. And there was a fumble recovery for a touchdown for the Patriots that I think it was a pitch play from Mayfield. The chubb that hit off one of the Browns' offensive linemen that was returned again for six I could definitely see that happening in this game if the Vikings are able to generate any sort of pressure. But I do think the Bucks' offensive line is getting a little bit too discredited, especially with Wirfs at left tackle, if he's able to make the adjustment. It is a big if, but he is one of the best offensive lines in the uh, league. My
1: buddy sent me an article a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I think Tristan Wirfs, I, I'm not trying to like, dump on the guy for having mental health, uh, issues. This is serious stuff and not something we should really laugh at. But it made me like, oh God, like he had to see a sports psych psychiatrist, I think, because he was struggling so much, uh, supposedly, I guess, in practice with moving from the right side to the left side. So we'll see how that goes for him. But we are talking about one of the best right tackles in the NFL. So, um, I think he largely was the best last year. So if he struggles, hopefully they come to their senses and just put him back on the right side where he's dominant.
0: I might have to hit up that psychiatrist if the bucks don't cover in this game. Okay. Jokes aside, last game to hit on maybe a bonus bet. Like I mentioned primetime ish late afternoon. So not really primetime, but one of the better games on the slate. You mentioned that at least in my opinion with Browns and Bengals, I think Eagles Patriots could live up to that hype too. I I know you're siding with the better team for sure on paper, and especially in regards to the betting market, but Eagles are four point favorites. There is one three and a half on the board. If you head over to the lines.com. So Philly above a field goal favorite above the key number three at new England Patriots are the futures market. Win total of seven and a half. A big time bet when it comes to Futures Outlook to finish dead last in the AFC East. And that is certainly an odds-on favorite when it comes to AFC East final standings in that market in particular. But how are you betting Eagles-Pats, Mel?
1: I like the Eagles. Uh, I know this is one of the fishiest plays of the week. But uh, I think that They should probably be bigger than minus four favorites. There were some minus three and a halfs out there, a little bit widely available a few days ago. So they're starting to disappear. Um, Man, the Eagles are just so, so much better than the Patriots, I think. They have one of the best wide receiver combos in the NFL. And when I'm looking at this Patriots roster, and yes, they have some talent in the secondary, Christian Gonzalez, but you know, they use a first round pick on him and yeah, he might be great at some point, but dude, rookie corners usually get their asses kicked. So even good ones for the most part, Sauce Gardner is the exception. Patrick Sertan, these guys are the exceptions. Most cornerbacks take their lumps and it's fine. And I think there could be some major lumps taken in this game. <laughs> Another factor when I'm looking at the way this Eagles team plays defense <clears throat> I think they might be a little bit soft in the middle of the field against some like smaller, quicker receivers uh, attacking these linebackers potentially. Uh, losing losing Edwards, I think, could be big there. He was such a monster in coverage, but the Patriots don't really have those type of guys. They kind of loaded up on bigger guys. This has always kind of been what they've been doing for the last five years or so. Basically, honestly, ever since Julian Edelman got washed and got old. They seem to be just going after bigger, more kind of traditional receivers. I don't really see the type of guys who are going to separate easily and get open over the middle against this Eagles linebacking core. And one thing the Patriots do have, which I'm curious to see how that works out in this game, they do have muscle up front on both sides of the ball. That's going to be key. Obviously against Billy, they got so much mileage out of just dominating up front on both ends of the ball last year so they patriots do have the horses to hold their own but on the outside i have major major concerns uh, i don't think they can beat these eagles corners and i don't think their corners can stand up to this eagles wide receiver core the eagles ultimately just i think they have built the best roster in the nfl and they're just pretty short favorites here against a team that's expected to win seven games and I think should have some pretty big growing pains early in the season adjusting to a new offense. Obviously, it should be an upgraded offense in terms of coaching. Like You can't do anything worse than having a defensive coordinator as your offensive coordinator. So, I only can assume good things will happen from switching to Bill O'Brien, but... I could see some growing pains there, even if things do ultimately get better. And just the line just looks like a little bit too short for me. I thought the Eagles should be more like minus five and a half, minus six point favorites here. So uh, I think just line is just not where it's supposed to be or where the Eagles talent level basically should be here.
0: I have a couple counters. Not that I bet the Patriots. I thought about it. So with Philly overall, First time offensive coordinator, you lost both of your coordinators, but first time OC Brian Johnson, which may not seem like a big factor considering he was a part of this Eagles coaching staff going back to at least the last couple years. But I am curious how he handles a pretty good above average, if not top five, borderline top five Patriots defense. When you look at the numbers last year, when it comes to EPA, and then you add the rookie cornerback in the first round, Christian Gonzalez, So definitely worth monitoring there. And then you go back to last year when it came to penalties, The Eagles are pretty undisciplined and they played so well, especially in the first half of the season when they were covering at an absurd rate. Didn't happen in the second half, but they played so well when they were able to run the ball and rush the passer. If New England is able to shorten the clock, and this is a Eagles defensive front that, is strong when it comes to against the pass, like you mentioned, but if New England can run the ball when Jordan Davis isn't in the game, because this is a much different Eagles run defense when Davis is off the field, not a projected starter. I know they upgraded their defensive line when it came to the first round of the draft themselves, but I mean, it's going to be a similar key to depending on what happens in the Lions chiefs game, right? If Detroit could shorten the clock against Kansas city, not that I'm trying to, handicap that game right now, but just it's a similar concept that if new England can find success on the ground, it's going to limit the opportunities for negative game script with Mac Jones against that vaunted Eagles passing defense. So any counter argument back to me, Mel?
1: Yeah, I would say for sure the Patriots, like I said, they have the muscle to compete up front. I kind of, I don't really think they're going to be able to run the ball here though. Honestly, I would be surprised. I, I, I thought the Eagles did a good job overall, basically every facet of defense pretty much last year. So I, I believe they promoted both of these guys from within as far as the coordinators go. Yeah. So that should help. There should be some continuity there. Um, and Mac Jones, not a guy I'm excited to see in most cases, although I did take his passing over this year. So... I nice. think he's going to struggle against this secondary for sure. It's just such a strong uh, pairing of cornerbacks against receivers that uh, there's going to be some variance here because I think he's going to be thrown into traffic a few times. So maybe these guys can come up with some contested catches. It's definitely the types of players who do um, Devonte Parker foremost among those. Uh, so, I'm also a little bit concerned at right tackle for this Patriots team. I'm seeing something called Calvin Anderson as the projected starter. I have to admit that I don't know who that is. So I'm assuming he's going to have a rough time here against this Eagles pass rush.
0: Yeah, there are concerns for New England when it comes to the injury report on the offensive line. Three names to keep in mind. Although I think Trent Brown is most likely going to be back. He's dealing with an illness. Strange at left guard, knee injury. And right guard as well, also banged up. Especially if, like you mentioned, the question marks already at right tackle. If Brown isn't back at left tackle, and you're talking about your two primary offensive linemen on the edge, a lot of concerns there for New England up front. So definitely don't hate the pick. I'm not going to be on the Eagles, but I understand your rationale. By the way, the first rounder that I was bringing up, Jalen Carter, going alongside Jordan Davis, or at least subbing in and out, depending how much time Davis sees on the field. I do think his his playing time will be something to monitor, especially if the Patriots find success on the ground. So before we wrap and get to our guest, Mo, I want to give you a quick second here to talk about your bonus bet, and then I want to quickly touch on both of our survivor picks if you've landed on one. So why don't you give your handicap swiftly, no pun intended, for Seahawks and Rams.
1: I think that people are not realizing how or crediting, how big of a part of this passing offense Cooper cup is and how fragile this Rams roster is. I think they could be one of the worst teams in the league. And, um, I think Seattle, I know you like Seattle and they have a very solid roster, pretty much top to bottom. And man, I, I don't know who Matt Stafford is throwing to. I really just don't know where he's going to throw the ball especially considering the quality of these Seahawks cornerbacks and, and and DBs in general. I mean, Quandre Diggs is very good. Yeah, I think the Rams are in very big trouble. I think under six and a half wins is a tremendous play. And I expect nothing good to happen basically all season for the Rams. I'm not even sure if Cooper Cup's going to suit up for a single game. It honestly wouldn't surprise me at this point, the way this injury is trending. So uh, I think the Seahawks should probably be like touchdown favorites here, if not more. And it would not surprise me if the Rams got buried and they got buried multiple times this season and this pivots into a full tank and rebuild at some point. Uh, But yeah, I like the Seahawks. I like the Seahawks in Survivor too. I think it's a good play. Only caveat there being they have Arizona at home, I think it's like week seven or eight in a week where there's very few projected large favorites. But at the same time, if you don't want to be on the ultra chalk pick every week, then maybe you just use the Seahawks
0: now. Yeah, I'll be on Washington, by the way, just to back your Seahawks pickup, Devon Weatherspoon, even though Jamal Adams is going to be out for this game, their first round corner, rookie corner. Witherspoon is I mean, very talented. Love watching him out of Illinois. And, he practiced on Wednesday. So like you mentioned, pretty weak Rams receiving core, also very weak Rams secondary. I, I know Geno Smith may be headed for a little bit of regression, not just generally speaking, but when it comes to dropped interceptions, most dropped interceptions among qualified quarterbacks last year. So on the other side, though, this isn't the Rams secondary that should be positioned to take advantage. If Smith is erratic by any means. so, I like the Seahawks play. Like I mentioned, though, I'll be on the commandos. I know that's going to be a very popular survivor pick, to say the least. I like Washington as well. Okay, That's that's probably
1: going to be my play. I just think I haven't even dove into, like, whole season projections yet for where I'm going to use what. But it's like, do you even need to with Washington if you pick? Like, you know you're not using Washington.
0: Right, exactly. There's no other spot to use Washington on their schedule, which – goes into the quote-unquote formula when it comes to picking your survivor play for each week. And I'm also going to be teasing the commanders down to minus one-ish. I doubt this thing is going to get down to six and a half, but we'll see if any sort of money comes in on Arizona over the weekend and tease up the Jets to eight and a half. I found this interesting, by the way. I know you're a Bills supporter, and I'm not saying Jets outright, but I think keeping it within a touchdown is within the wide range of outcomes for the Monday Night Football game. We're going to talk props for that game here in a moment with Jack Miller from Establish the Run. But just to touch on Josh Allen against the Jets, and maybe the Jets are headed for a little bit of positive regression when it comes to their turnover luck on the defensive side of the ball. I think bottom five in turnover rate last year and considering how good that defense was granted they also faced a ton of backup quarterbacks to the point that I brought up with the Bengals at the start of the show but Josh Allen pressure to sack rate I brought that up a few times on this podcast so far below average pressure to sack rate against multitude of opponents last year When it came to the Jets a 38 percent 38.5 percent pressure to sack rate and 30% pressure to sack rate in his two meetings against the Jets, which is way above league average considering the Baker Mayfield staff that I brought up. He led the league in pressure to sack rate at 30.8%. So if the Jets are able to get pressure on Allen, that's going to be the key, which is why I have a slight lean towards first half under in that game. I know the market has dipped that totals over the course of the offseason from 47.5 down to 46.5, 46. And he, Thoughts on teasing the Jets up?
1: I would say about teasing the Jets and teasing in general, most people, I would recommend just lower volume on teasers. Technically speaking, these things gain value as the season goes on because the market gets more certain and buying and selling points, whatnot, starts to... Well, buying. buying points becomes more valuable as the market becomes more certain that's why we don't want to tease college games generally because these have a wide range of outcomes where these NFL games it's usually good when you're getting good numbers but early in the season we don't know as much about these teams these are more veteran laden teams in this Bill's Jets game so maybe it's fine in this one I'd be a little concerned about the commanders just based on the fact (laughs) that it's two quarterbacks we basically know nothing about. Yeah. I mean, the Washington obviously has a much better team than the Cardinals, as crazy as that is to say. But that's the Cardinals have reached a level of poor on the roster that we have rarely, if ever, seen in our lives.
0: Yeah, it's bad. A lot of win total underbats out there, including everybody, boss, whatever boss is, Steven Andrus over at the lines.com has a bunch of. Negative bets on Arizona, including win total under, and I think alternate wins, even though it's, the win total is already low enough to begin with. But now it's time to bring on our guest, Jack Miller at JackMiller02 on Twitter. Pretty simple, covers fantasy football and the NFL prop betting markets over at Establish the Run. Did a podcast over the summer with another good buddy from ETR, Evan Silva. I know Jack knows him well, or maybe just a little bit, not too well. But Evan's a good dude. Adam Levitan, one of the funniest guys on NFL prop betting, Twitter, and fantasy football. Jack, first time you're on the Beat the Closing Number podcast. How you doing ahead of week one? I'm doing good. Excited for week one. Thank you guys for having me on. Excited to be here. And Jack, by the way, if you see his hat, you're watching us on YouTube. He did not run in the Chicago Marathon. So a little bit of a tease. I know he's got some actual bets for us and not too many more teases to come here on the show. But Jack... You're one of the sharper NFL prop bettors on the X betting space, no longer the gambling Twitter space. And you had an interesting tweet out yesterday when it comes to finding value in the NFL prop betting market juxtaposed to the traditional general-ish markets when it comes to spreads and totals. So if you wouldn't mind expanding on that thought.
2: Yeah, so basically it just comes down to the efficiency of the markets. I mean... And and you can kind of gauge that efficiency by the limits. Uh, a lot of people complain about limits with props, but if they were taking super high limits, then in all likelihood those markets wouldn't even exist. And then you look at something like sides and totals, and you know on game day you can get down pretty easily, like if you wanted to. Obviously, like I'm not doing this, but you could get down high five, high five figures, six figures, pretty much whatever you want on NFL sides and totals because the books feel pretty confident about uh their lines at that point they've undergone a lot of price discovery and so they're willing to take a lot of money and so if if you're the average better jumping online and on a on a sunday morning and saying you know i think the bears are going to win by more than one and a half or whatever their current spread is against the packers um you're competing you're basically saying that you know better than the millions of dollars that have circulated through the market by that point whereas something like uh Prop markets have nowhere near that amount of money flowing through them. And as a result, they have nowhere near the same level of efficiency.
0: It's a great point for sure, especially when it comes to novice bettors that may be listening to this podcast and reading all of our content over at the lines.com, along with the great stuff you guys have over at Establish the Run. So let's kick it off with a couple props that you like when it comes to the Colts Jaguars game. One game we haven't discussed yet here on beat the closing number, Anthony Richardson passing yards prop and rushing yards prop granted against a pretty stout Jacksonville defensive front, but that secondary Mo and I have talked about it throughout the off season is very vulnerable. And this is one of those spreads where to me, at least I've considered betting the Colts just from the standpoint that maybe this line spiked a little bit too high and took Jonathan Taylor's value in regards to the market a little bit too much when it comes to The spread shifting from three and a half, four, up to five. You may not have a bet on the side of the total in this game, Jack, but what's your angle with rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson making his first NFL start against Jacksonville here?
2: Yeah, so the line has moved a little bit. It was in the mid-200s. mid. It was like 205, 210 earlier today, but I still think it's good. At the current line of around 195 or so, you can find 195.5 unders uh, minus 125 on DraftKings. And that's Anthony Richardson's passing yards prop. He's a very raw passer. He completed fewer than 54% of his passes in his final season at Florida. In preseason, uh, he completed... I I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but his yards per attempt was around six or so. Completed about half his passes. He's extremely raw as a passer. Um, But I think for a guy where a a lot of his dropbacks are going to turn into scrambles because he's such a prolific runner and with him being such a route passer it makes sense for the colts to kind of protect him um in that regard anyway in his first professional game and when you combine that with the fact that he's probably not that good of a passer at this stage um i I like the under on the 195 and then on the rushing it's kind of the opposite i mean he's like derrick henry in build and in he's 6'4 240 runs a 4-4, just an athletic freak. Uh, This is another case where the number opened at 42.5 or around there and is now 46.5, but I I think they're going to try to use Richardson's legs because I think without Jonathan Taylor and without him maybe being an NFL-caliber passer yet, I don't really see another way for them to move the ball. So I I think Richardson's going to be utilized in the rushing game quite a bit in week one.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Super bearish on this Colts. Passing offense. So, uh, makes sense to me as well. One player I am definitely not bearish on, Derrick Henry. I know he struggled with injuries last year. I like this Titans team. I like Derrick Henry to lead the NFL in rushing around plus 850. Um, week one, obviously three point dogs against the Saints and Henry here with a bad offensive line, but facing off with. A Saints defensive front that is a bit stronger on the edge, I think, than than in the middle. Um, Colin Saunders was basically a emergency backup for the Chiefs. <laughs> I'm seeing him projected as a starter. So uh, I think he could have some success here. And the number is quite a bit lower than we're used to seeing with Henry in recent seasons when we regularly saw uh, numbers in the 90s, high 90s, uh, even triple digits on his rushing prop. But at the same time, you know they did use a high draft pick on Tajay Spears, and maybe the team is starting to transition to like a lesser workload for him. So, uh, what are you thinking there when it comes to Derrick Henry?
2: Yeah, I haven't bet that one. I do think if I were to bet it, I'd probably lean over. Uh, in the ETR projections, we show like a little bit of an over, but probably not enough to bet. And it is a very low number um, compared to what we've seen. For Henry in the past. So from that angle, uh, I think it makes sense. It's just, you know, 29 years old with such an extensive historical workload scares me a little bit. Um, but if I were to pick a side, it, it would be the over there.
1: One player uh, with a ton of offseason hype has been Darren Waller. Um, he's a guy who I've been extremely unimpressed by in recent seasons, uh, burned me in multiple avenues from the fantasy angle there uh so <laughs> yeah I, I think he's basically been a shell of himself since that one amazing season he had I think it was in 2019 or 2020 uh but moves to the Giants this offseason and supposedly all I've been seeing is basically that he's being treated as WR1 in their practices and stuff and just hogging an incredible amount of targets which when you look at this Giants wide receiver core, it could make sense. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, the player I've been watching the last couple of years, if he's that big of a part of the offense, I haven't done this, but I really should be running to bet and everything anti-Giants if that's the case. Uh, so I don't know. Where do you see Waller going, I guess, in this full season and in, in week one against a Cowboys defense that has at times struggled to cover tight ends uh, and is strong? At cornerback, and in the pass rush, obviously.
2: Yeah, from a season long perspective, I'm not super on Waller. Uh, just you know, such an, a lengthy injury history, hasn't been able to stay healthy for 17 games. Um, but I, I do think for week one, he's kind of gonna get fed, and as long as he stays healthy, he's gonna get fed. This his prop opened at like 42 and a half, and it got bet up almost immediately. Um, and I think that was the right side. It's it's now around fifty and a half, and a half. And I think that's a little bit of a tougher sell. Um, but I, I think for week one, I'm bullish on Waller, but from a season-long perspective, I'm uh, a, a little more skeptical.
0: Follow up there, Jack. Is there any one of the giants that you are high on receiving corpse wise season-long, whether it's fantasy or Prop, market, depending on the matchup, or is the answer just no? <laughs> uh,
2: honestly, they're all they're so cheap, the receivers. I don't really mind just taking late stabs on them. Like Darius Slayton in fantasy drafts, you can get in the last round. Jalen Hyatt, probably not going to do anything uh, in week one, but maybe you can earn a role and be something by the end of the season for the fantasy playoffs, which are obviously the most important time of the year. So I don't mind taking stabs on Jalen Hyatt and Slayton late in drafts. Um, but it really is just such a tough situation to figure out. And if they weren't so cheap, um, I, I wouldn't be trying to you know pay a premium for them. It's just that they're so cheap. I don't mind taking a shot.
0: On the note of wide receivers, Stephon Diggs, a lot of trade rumors or at least demands in the off season. Bills very wisely kept him, and Buffalo, obviously one of the Super Bowl favorites, Diggs. Looking ahead to Monday Night Football, and we have a couple props to hit on for that game. His over under receiving yards prop sitting at 69 and a half. I mentioned this, Jack, when discussing teasing the Jets up with Mo in the back end of our spreads and not really totals, just spreads, survivor pick, and teaser segment for the most part on this podcast. And Josh Allen has fared well against pressure against most teams, just not the Jets. And this is a very stout Jets defense, arguably top five, even though maybe they face and deal with a little bit of regression just because they don't face as many backup and then backup backup quarterbacks like we saw in that Broncos game last year when they closed as a dog to, I believe, what the Broncos' third-string quarterback when Russell Wilson was hurt. But I digress about this Jets defense, at least in regards to the market. So Diggs' player prop, like I mentioned, receiving yards-wise, just under 70 yards. Mo did mention to me before the podcast that Diggs has had Sauce Gardner's number, obviously one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. What do you make of Buffalo's pass catchers on Monday Night Football against the Jets and Diggs in particular?
2: Yeah, we basically have Diggs right on his number. His his player prop on DraftKings is 69.5. We have his mean uh, outcome slightly above that, which means his median, which is what we care about for prop betting, is basically bang on that number. Um, It's a little lower of a number than you'd expect for Diggs, but I think that makes sense given that he's playing against a top two or three quarterback in the NFL, uh, even despite the fact that Diggs might have performed well against him. Uh, in the past. So I'm probably not going to stay away or I probably am going to stay away from that one. And I don't even really, really have like a super strong lean there because um, of how much it aligns with our projection.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be really uh, excited to bet props in this game and just bet this game in general. Uh, So we were going to see how you felt about Aaron Rodgers as well. Obviously a completely retooled passing game here. Um, Facing off with a Buffalo defense, possibly, well, no, I think certainly because Von Miller out, I believe, on the pup list, so not playing. And then the secondary was like, you know, Tredavious White just didn't perform basically the way we've seen him play in the past. And then the safeties obviously dealt with a ton of injuries for Buffalo. So a secondary that was maybe a little worse than than expected last year and could potentially bounce back this year but also you know maybe not uh, still some youth there and now some injury concerns at safety so how do you see this Buffalo secondary playing out against Aaron Rodgers when he is coming into this new situation
2: yeah I'm probably not gonna bet this one unless it comes up but the on the only side I'd be looking to play on Rodgers would be the under on his passing yards it's currently at 236.5 I think He's probably not like the kind of player where the public's going to steam him up before the game, even though it is a primetime game. Uh, But if it gets up to like 240 or 245, I think then that's a spot where you could fire the under there. Just coming off a season in which he didn't look like the old Rodgers, maybe not like a super elite Buffalo defense, but certainly a solid one. Um, So that's basically my view on it.
0: Yeah, and looking at the total for that game, I think that's why we've seen it get bet down, especially in Rogers' first game. I know he looked good in the preseason. That's the preseason. A lot of people hammering Kenny Pickett, maybe season-long props because of his preseason performance. I'll say it again. It's the preseason. Jack, to wrap it up, any other props that you may be looking for for Week 1 in general if a number gets to a certain price point? in the market or just player names that you find intriguing when it comes to the prop market? Um, No one like right
2: now that really stands out there. I, I think if I were to just give general advice, it would be that on a lot of the time on Sundays or, or Saturdays or, or really just any anytime later in the week, the books start to post lines for players who are not as um, good, frankly, like right now it, it's basically just, the main players for each team, but closer to the game, we might start to get wide receiver three, wide receiver four lines. And those tend to be more exploitable uh, than the main guys who are easier to price. That's not to say that like that you can't find value on the main guys. It's just that the, the lower lines on players uh, down on the depth chart are are typically uh, have more of an edge.
0: Yeah. One guy, I may be looking at target in that regard, depending on what is, receiving yards prop is sitting at just considering how poor the bears secondary projects to be is Jaden Reed who's the Packers slot man granted I know the floor maybe just as low as the ceiling is high for Jordan Love and Packers betters from a futures perspective this year but Reed, I have in fantasy, and I may regret it, not the best fantasy player, just putting that out there. I know Mo likes to call me the king of disclaimers, so that is my one disclaimer on this podcast. But Reed is a guy that definitely intrigues me in season-long leagues and maybe prop-wise against the Bears. We'll see what that number opens up at. But he is Jack Miller at JackMiller02 on Twitter, covers fantasy football and the prop betting market over at etr established the run they do great work and very profitable too if you're looking for a site when it comes to dfs and player prop projections thanks so much for joining us today jack
2: of course yeah thank you
0: for having me on this was fun really fun and he is jack miller again my coast mo Noir, mo any closing thoughts before betters gear up really even though it does start tonight like maybe i forgot to begin the podcast any any wise words to our listening viewing audience
1: no i would just uh echo honestly what jack said uh definitely last year when i was writing the prop articles on friday and doing the prop show for us on friday uh usually digging a little deeper was the best way to find some of this stuff um often finding value on like RB2s, stuff like that. So I would say just try to figure out guys who are going to be maybe a bigger or smaller part of the game plan than uh, the market might be expecting. And that's usually where you can dig up some good value.
0: Any thoughts on my Jaden Reed take?
1: Uh, I would say you're going to have a tough time finding a number there probably until uh, they put something out for these other receivers. So I'm curious to see how that works out because I think, uh, right. Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, both either limited or missing practice so far this week. So, uh, stay away from the Packers. It would be my advice right now, even though I'm like very high on green Bay compared to most people, probably, and low on the bears, but I'm a little nervous about that situation right now. Uh, if the receivers are out.
0: Yeah. We touched on that game on Tuesday's episode, but for Monoir, for myself, Eli Erskovich. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody.